Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Arts Across NC, a podcast by and about the North Carolina Arts Council. I'm your host, Sandra Davidson. We are back this year with a brand new batch of 50 for 50 interviews. And for a quick refresher, our 50 for 50 project is a multimedia campaign we created in honor of our 50th anniversary. 50 artists with North Carolina roots and North Carolina ties are sharing stories about their own creative process, about how North Carolina has influenced their work, and about why they believe public funding for the arts matters. Today, you'll hear from MC Taylor and Phil Cook, two Durham musicians who play together in His Gold Messenger, an American folk band led by MC. Phil is known for making music with his own bands, Megaphone and the Guitar Heels, and he's collaborated with the likes of Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls, Justin Vernon of Bonnevere, and the Blind Boys of Alabama. MC Taylor has fronted his Golden Messenger since 2007, and he's been widely praised for his genre-blending, soul-searching music. Both MC and Phil transplanted to North Carolina in the mid-2000s, MC from California and Phil from Wisconsin. They didn't know each other back then, but they were both drawn to North Carolina and they both stayed in North Carolina to make music for similar reasons. Here's MC. I think the thing that makes North Carolina a good place to be an artist for me, uh, the thing that drew me here is that there's a deep musical history here that I'm interested in. And that has been important to me to like my formation as a musician. That's the thing that that drew me to this place at the very beginning was that I wanted to live in the South because I love Southern cultures. And I knew that if I had any hope of understanding it on a deeper level, I, I had to be here. Same, same, same. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with this, having this musical foundation here, um, people are also willing to push it at it and stretch it and grow it and, and evolve it. And that's also important. And I feel like I can walk out my front door um, and be in touch with, with all of that stuff. Like I, someone was here doing an interview with me a couple of years ago from England and I was able to like drive them down Pettigrew Street and show them where Blind Boy Fuller would have played outside of the tobacco warehouse on payday. If you're into American music, that's 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 a mm -hmm. that's a marker of American music, mm -hmm. you know. Um, like you could go find where Reverend Gary Davis lived. Um, mm -hmm. You can listen to an Etta Baker recording and know that she was doing her thing just a couple hours from here. Um, yeah. And that to me is really important. Having that, having that foundation to me as an artist is really important. It might not be for other people, but for me, it's like, I need that. I need that solid ground. Yeah. My favorite thing about this place that I keep taking away from it is we all recognize the journey in each other. And I love seeing um, all these different artists and songwriters and, you know, producers and people that have these common goals of making great records, making great music. We have a big opportunity in front of us to just coalesce all of that and realize we're all on that same path and all that same mission. It doesn't matter what scene we're talking about. If we're talking about the jazz and the hip hop scene, which is so vital and living in Durham, 
Uh, and if we're talking about, you know, like our kind of songwriter scene and things that are more folk based and things that are uh, more bluegrass based that are here, like Mandolin Orange and uh, folks like that and Mipso, uh, you know, those, we all have started to recognize and see each other in the last five years. And I love that. And I think that that's a great foundation to build community on are the artists all finding each other in the in the, the the night in the evening in the dawns of of our existences and just realizing we're on that same path together we're all trying to do that same thing it took a while for phil and mc to find each other within that artistic community but their paths finally crossed in 2012 at a his gold messenger album release show in chapel hill phil started recording with his gold messenger the following week and he hasn't stopped Phil and MC have different approaches to writing and making music, and they've learned a lot about their own artistry through their creative collaboration. Finding Mike and meeting Mike made me realize all these things that had been true about myself since the beginning of my musical journey that were just there along with me. But I think just he opened up my own permission to just realize how many skills I wasn't using that have been there the whole time. It was like working in my first real kitchen. That gave me the confidence to open up my own kitchen. That that experience, that four years was just realizing that like, I can totally do this too because I see the formula and the ingredients for making something that is meaningful and something that speaks to people and especially because it just has to speak from you has to speak from exactly you know where you're at and in an honest way with integrity and vulnerability and that's i think mike's biggest strength as a songwriter is that he's able to just open himself up where he's you know his own journey of life he's open able to open it up in such a incredible way and talk about his kids and his his family and his wife and also just talk about where he's at with his relationship with you know, the universe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in ways that I, I'm always just, I always see, and I'm always in the corner of the room, just, but I'm always, I'm always receiving really good wisdom out of it and experience. Well, I mean, here's a crazy thing to think about. Before <laughs> Phil started playing in his, he didn't play, he wasn't playing piano in Megafon. Yeah. Now he's he, he's also like one of the great uh, guitar players of our time, in my opinion. And so, like people <laughs> so see that people people see that see that more. I think they were seeing that back then too. And you were playing a lot of banjo and stuff. But it's been it's really been transformational to mm -hmm. like what we do in Hiss. Mm -hmm. And ho <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of forced you to do it, but that's great. <laughs> And it's still it's still the thing that like is my favorite go to is just be realizing how comfortable I am sitting on a piano bench and sitting in front of a piano and with your music it's just like I realize over and over again like oh this is exactly where I need to <laughs> I spend a lot of time alone when I'm writing a song. Phil and Brad, his brother, can read music. They have a pretty serious um, understanding of theory, which I don't have. So like, it takes me a long time when I'm writing a song in terms of like the harmonic content of a tune and, and melodically just to like understand what the landscape is. Well, peace is a silver 
gold in your teeth Said the good King John Many fathoms deep From the fire of the morning To the blood of the so, so I usually sit with a guitar and you know, do my thing, like get the like lyrical idea down. But then I bring it to Phil and he helps me understand what's happening in the song. And really like the most important thing for me at that at that stage is that I can show Feel like what part of the song I really like and I feel like we need to emphasize because it like pulls at the heart in a way and then Phil can say oh well that's because there is this happening in the song like the, because the, there's this interval that's like pulling right there and I'm like oh it's a burden of knowledge <laughs> okay <laughs> I'm, thank I'm thankful for my burden of theory knowledge <laughs> so when my Mike writes a song he'll come uh, come to us with not just one, not, oh, I have this new song. He's usually, by the time we're learning something, he's got a pocket of songs, five to ten already. Like, he's just, he'll write in these really great cycles. And, um, you know, and I've, you know, written, you know, ten songs. So I've just, it's a, it's a lot longer uh, trajectory for me. But what, you know, what I do is just a lot more, uh, the last thing that happens is I write lyrics. I mean, I can, I have like probably 300 to 400 30 second voice memo clips on my phone that are just me screwing around and playing guitar for 10 minutes and I come up with a little thing, record it, and then I have that. And then I have to go through in the tour van, I just go through my headphones or if I just see a long drive ahead of us and I was like, scroll through them all and then I gotta name them something like, Noodle Boy 1A, <laughs> you know, like whatever it is, <laughs> Sub Noodleist 7B, uh, whatever I think, or if it's really good, I'll put a, a thumbs up emoji con next to it. And I, then I can at least go through and start to kind of be like, I like these the most. And then those 30 second things, I have to turn those somehow into like a three minute song with the other sorts of ideas that I have. So those kind of our processes for writing separately and together. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to just throw songs out and not everything is perfect. Like a lot of the stuff is junk. Like that, and this would be stuff that nobody's ever heard except for me. Phil, like, if you hear Southland Mission, like that's just like a meticulously crafted album. It's pretty watertight in a really beautiful way. It's like a it's like a really beautifully cut gem. His Golden Messenger, sometimes it's the that like vessel is a little leaky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's okay. Like I I I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um I think there's a place in art to be really exacting and and just like follow your mm -hmm. follow the vision mm -hmm. to to the very very end. And then there's also a place to to like to leave imperfections mm -hmm. alone because Absolutely. those are the those are I mean for me those are the things that I learn from. If I hear something on an old record and I'm like I wish that I would have fix that. That's always going to be a thing that lives for me as as a reminder, like a little flag that says like, you know, remember that you can do it again. Remember that you can do it better or remember to leave the imperfections in because it's it's going to be a thing that like gives you some 
um, your bearings yep. as you make art. A sweet May morning, yeah, lying in bed with nothing to say. We'll pretend all we want to, yeah, tomorrow I'll be on. As musicians and students of American folk music, MC and Phil know a lot about how music can change individual lives and create positive social change. So I asked them to reflect on why public funding for the arts matters. I think public funding for the arts matters if you value culture and art. You know, I, I think that uh, art is a is an important reflection of the places that we live and and the things that we we think are important. I think that the on like a cosmic level, the world is a lot less interesting of a place without place specific artwork. You know, there there is less of that now than than there once was. The way that we communicate with each other around the world now has sort of flattened culture. You know, there was a time when you could hear like a gospel quartet in North Carolina, and you could tell by what song they were singing, the way that their harmonies were working together. You could tell what what county they were from. And there's there's less of that now. I personally think that that's a beautiful thing and I think that art doesn't come free. It just it just doesn't. Um, if you want vibrant, progressive, uh, sort of rich art, it's got to be paid for in some way. So I think every little bit helps, but you have to figure out a way to communicate that culture is important even when you can't quantify it in the same way that you can a car or, a, or something else. It's like culture is important because it, it tells other people who we are in the most beautiful way. That to me is, is something of value. Mm -hmm. I think Mike speaks really beautifully about about it, and I love hearing Mike talk about um, culture. I always do, it's great. And I've had a pretty fair amount of experience since moving to North Carolina with teaching kids about art, uh, music specifically. But I've I taught like rock band camps in both Raleigh and in Durham um, for about 10 years now. I've done it on and off. And making kids work together through music, I've just seen over and over again, um, you know, how many other things are at play there and how many other, other like little pieces and little seeds are planted that I'm able to now 10 years later run into some of those same kids and see, you know, some of them, those camps really unlocked something for them because we weren't just learning a rigid you know, form of something that they needed to like only recreate off of a staff paper. We were learning about how to play with something, how to actually manipulate sound, and how to work together with other people towards a common goal in a way that's not a science project, in a way that's not something over here, in a way that they can add something to, you know, and I love seeing music be able to be with somebody through their whole life. So I think that that's another big thing that you never know. You're just planting seeds when you're helping kids. You're planting seeds and you just know, don't know what they're gonna sprout like, but it, it, they're rarely not beautiful things when they, when they blossom. 
All right, that's our show today. This episode featured original music that Phil Cook created for the 50 for 50 project and a couple of excerpts from his Gold Messenger songs. You can find more 50 for 50 artist profiles and a link to more His Gold Messenger music and a couple of videos of our conversation at ncarts50.org. If you liked the episode, give us a rating on iTunes and share the show with your friends. We'll be back soon.